Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is, when you may be tuning in and welcome to you. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 344 of our Bible Bites as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. My reading today is found in Ephesians chapter 4 through 6. So we're going to talk about those passages a little bit today. I want to start out in Ephesians chapter 4, reading verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, remember he was in house arrest in Rome when he was writing this, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I just want to make a few comments here about verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4. This is a needed word for us today. He's telling us how do we walk? How do we walk worthy of the Lord? And, you know, one thing that I think about with walking worthy of the calling that we have is, in essence, walking to make Daddy proud. Our God is our Father. We have been given the spirit of adoption. Paul's already written about that here. And so we want to make him proud. We want to live in a manner that pleases him. And that word calling actually means the invitation. So we've been invited into the family of God. We've been invited to become holy so that we can have relationship and fellowship with God. And Paul is saying, walk worthy of that. Walk worthy of that. You've been invited to something special. Think about it like this. If you or I received an invitation, let's say to dine with the Queen of England or to dine with the President of the United States or some other big dignitary, there would be a certain worthiness that we would feel. There would be a certain way we would handle that in preparation. I mean, we would have to follow a certain protocol in the way we dress, in the etiquette that we use, in the poise, you know, how we handle ourselves and how we walk and those kinds of things. It would be a special thing and we would be honoring it by living according to that protocol and preparing wisely for that special invitation that we've received in that case. It's, it's similar to that. Think of how much more it is to be invited to be a child of God, one who bears his name, one who is chosen as his representative. So Paul is saying, walk worthy of that. Make, a, make daddy proud. Make Jesus proud by the way that you live in honor of that great calling. He goes on and he talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's interesting because he doesn't just say, you know, keep the unity of the Spirit as if it's an easy thing to do. He says, endeavoring to keep. And that word literally is talking about making an effort, being earnest. It takes work to live in a place of the unity of the Holy Spirit of God in the bond of peace with other Christians. Because it does take us having love that covers a multitude of sins sometimes and the the kind of love that forgives the kind of love that overlooks things and doesn't be offended and and that kind of thing so it takes work to keep 
the unity of the Holy Spirit of God. And notice that Paul was very careful to say it is the unity of the Holy Spirit that we are to endeavor to keep. He goes on in verse 4 through 6, and I love this because he expounds on that unity, on the oneness that he's talking about. So, in other words, this unity of the Spirit is is expounded on here. We understand what he means. One body, one Spirit, called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, above all, through all, and in you all is who he is. So, he's telling us more about this unity. There is a oneness to what we need to all agree to doctrinally, etc. And so he's expounding on that and he says, work hard to keep the unity. And this is why there's one body, one spirit, etc. So then he goes on and he says, okay, there is a oneness to it, but there's also an individuality. Each one of you are given certain gifts. There's grace that God has given throughout the body to be used in an individual basis. And he decided that. He talks about how he ascended on high um, after he had descended and all of that. He goes into that. He quotes um, Psalm there. <clears throat> um, he quotes the Psalm there. And he explains the gifts in verse 11 through 16. So we call these the fivefold ministry gifts because they're, they're particularly five gifts listed here that are the leadership gifts, if you will, in a sense. So Christ has designed a structure and he's given five particular types of gifts that then are used to prepare the rest of the body so that everyone fits in their place and does their job. And when each one is doing their job, the whole of the body is healthy and strong and able to grow up in Christ. So that's what he's talking about here. So he lists these five. He says there's apostles. Those are like our church planters. Those are the ones that are kind of sent out into unreached territories, into new areas to to reach them with the gospel and to start new churches. And they have a degree of authority and even uh, apostolic ministry with miraculous gifts and other things operating in them. He mentions the prophets. These are those that speak under the inspiration and anointing of God. Now, we have to be careful today because there's lots of people going around calling themselves prophets and you'll hear all kinds of prophetic word. I got this word from the Lord, that word from the Lord. Some of that may be very legitimate, but some of it may not be. And we must be very careful. The New Testament tells us that we are to judge prophecy. We judge it with the scriptures and with the witness of the Holy Spirit of God. And so it must line up with what the Spirit of God says, which will always glorify Jesus, and with Scripture. So we don't just take everything that is said as if it were a word from the Lord. The Scripture does have the thus saith the Lord in it, and those are canonized, and we can count on those, and those are true 
prophetic words in the sense of foretelling words. Now, it may be more words of confirmation and, in a sense, teaching words, because even delivering teaching under the inspiration and power of the Spirit of God is prophetic in the sense that it's given by the inspiration of God. It's a revelation that's under the anointing of the Spirit to give understanding and application. So in that sense, it's, it can be similar to the teacher's gift. Then the third one he's, he lists here is evangelists. Those are the ones who are sent forth to preach the gospel and carry the good news to people that need to hear it. Pastors, those are the shepherds of flocks. They are the ones that are local pastors, local shepherds over the flocks, whether they be rabbis or, or pastors, you may call them priests, whatever. But they're those that are, that are designed by God, called by God to feed a flock and to care for a particular group of people. And then you have the teachers. That's number five. Those are the ones that give the instruction, understanding, and application of God's word to the body so that the body knows now how to live, how to operate, how to understand what the word of God is saying to them, etc. Now, the purpose for these five being given to the church is to equip every one of the believers, the saints, to completely furnish them so that they are ready to function. I thought about this word and I thought, you know, if you build a home or if you move into a new home or whatever, you know, when you buy a home or when you build a home, it's empty. It doesn't have anything in it until you furnish it. You bring in, you decide, let's say if you're building a home, you've got to have a refrigerator in order to be able to keep your food cool and, and be able to enjoy the milk and other things that, that you might buy. You need, you know, places to sit. You need places to lay down and sleep. You need places to eat. So all of those things have to be furnished. And when, when your home is furnished, then you are able to function in it day by day by day and accomplish things there. It's similar to that when he's talking about how these are for the equipping of the saints. They're to furnish the saints with everything that they need so that they can then function because their purpose then is to do the work of the ministry. So it's not that the fivefold ministry um, people don't operate in the actual work of the ministry. They are, but they have a different type of work that they're doing. So let's just take it, for instance. Your pastor is going to maybe have a, a ministry team that goes out and feeds the homeless, that um, provides you know help at soup kitchens or a clothes closet or whatever the, the need may be. He may be establishing home churches or house home groups, small cell groups, so that the body can meet together in smaller amounts and all grow together. But the pastor is not necessarily going to have the time or the ability to do all of those things himself. He can't be out every single day, all day long. So his job is to feed the flock and equip them so that they can go and do those things as God has put in their heart. 
because a pastor or a teacher or whoever it is cannot be a one-in-all, do-all, end-all. There's got to be a team effort. And so every person has a part to play. And it goes on down, and it talks here about, in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And when all of that is in operation, it says that it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So that's what this is all about. And Jesus has been gracious to give us everything we need so that we can do that and so that each one of us can do our part and we will all be built up. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. He wants us all to mature in him. And so he has given us what we need to do that. Praise God. He mentions in this passage also that we're not to be children tossed about to and fro unable to discern things, but God wants us to be fully mature. Hallelujah. He goes on and he talks about in verse 17 that there needs to be in the body of Christ when people become saved, there is, there is a change of behavior, and that is fitting for those who are in Christ. He says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. You used to. But you don't walk that way anymore. You got a new nature. You got a new calling. You got a new savior. You, you've got a new life. The old is gone. You're made new. So now you live for him. You don't live for those things in the past. Now he, um, now he speaks about uh, being renewed in verse 20 through 24. He talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind and how you live these things out. And I want to just comment about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's through the word of God. Thinking about it, meditating, reading it, studying it, speaking of it, declaring it, memorizing it, etc. Get it into your mind. Get it into your heart. Praise God. He goes on in the rest of that chapter. And he speaks to a lot of practical ways to live as Christians. He talks in there about your speech. Don't be lying. Don't be using uh, unwholesome words coming out of your mouth, whether they be curse words or negative words or any of those kinds of things that are hurtful, offensive. Don't be angry and sin not. Now notice that you can be angry. There's a way to be angry in a situation, a righteous anger or whatever, because anger is a, a, an emotion. But do not sin in that, because if you sin when you're angry, you are ultimately opening a door, what he says here, giving ground to the devil. You open a door for the devil to operate in your life. He says to work with your hands. Don't steal. If you used to steal, you don't do that anymore. Now you work, you labor, you work hard so that you can not only provide for yourself, but have extra and be generous and give to other people. He talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit with offensive lifestyle and other things. To remove all these evils, to be kind to everybody and forgive all. Because why? Because Jesus Christ forgave you everything. 
Therefore, we are to forgive one another because he has forgiven us. Chapter 5, he tells us right off the right out of the gate, chapter 5, to follow Jesus, imitate him. It's the same calling that Jesus gave to his disciples in the gospel. Follow me. Do as I do. Live as I live. Speak as I speak. Watch and follow my example. He tells us what to avoid. Things that should not even be named among us, including fornication. And fornication today is widely um, observed even within the body of Christ. And Paul says here it shouldn't even be named among us. This is a shameful thing. And I, I beckon you to um, to not participate in that. Fornication is simply a, um, a premature relationship, sexual relationship, where let's say uh, a man and a woman are living together before they have bonded in true marriage. That's what fornication is. And it is still wrong today. It doesn't matter if it's socially accepted. It's still wrong. And we need to take the words of scripture and live by those and let those cleanse out all of that evil from us. He goes on and he talks in verse 8 through 11 about how we once were in the kingdom of darkness. We once were alienated from God. We once were living ungodly lives. But now we are in the light of the Lord. He says, therefore, we're to walk as children of light. So he's telling us, let's, let's live the way we are now with the new man, with the new person coming forth. He goes on and he speaks about redeeming the time and I wanted to point this out. In verse 16, he tells us how to walk in our lifestyle, meaning our lifestyle. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, redeem the time because time is one of those things that when it's gone, it's gone. You'll never get it back. You'll never get those days back. Note those moments back. So Paul says, you can't cry over spilt milk. You can't do anything about the time that's passed. But what you can do is make every day count from now on. That's what he's talking about in his, when he says redeeming the time. Praise God. In verse 18, he says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word be is actually in the Greek tense. It means to be being continually on an ongoing basis filled with the Spirit of God. Praise God. He deals the rest of this chapter and into chapter 6, the first part of chapter 6. He deals with family relationships and he deals with, um, with employer-employee relationships. So he tells wives how to live. He tells husbands how to live. Matter of fact, the husbands have even the higher responsibility before God for a few different reasons, but Paul lists here because they are to love their wives just like Christ loves the church. And Christ gave himself for the church. He was sacrificial. He even laid down his very life for the church. So it's a, it's, it's a calling there. But Paul is saying here, he goes on and he talks about this marriage union. And he says, this is a great mystery, verse 32. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the marriage relationship should be an example of Christ and the church when everyone in that relationship is functioning as they should. 
And so that's what the marriage union was designed to be, is a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. He goes on in the first part of chapter 6, talks about children and about parents. And he mentions about parents' responsibility. Don't provoke your children to wrath. In other words, you know, don't, don't make them get angry or, or disrespect you or whatever because you're treating them harshly or you're being overbearing or whatever. He says, don't do that, but rather bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Then he goes on and he talks about servants and, and masters, meaning in today's language, you know, employees and employers of companies and, and where you earn, where you earn your living, etc. Then he goes on and he concludes the chapter with a few greetings, but in between that, verses 10 through 20, uh, particularly 10 through 18, he speaks about and he gives us a treatise, so to speak, on spiritual warfare and in this area because it's very real and we need to understand that he talks about spiritual warfare and he talks about God's armor he explains our strengths where they lie and what they're in he explains our warfare <clears throat> who we're fighting against he explains our enemy who we fight against and how we fight against them and he explains the armor that's been given to us for battle now, this is worthy of its own study, which we don't have time for, and I'm not going into that. But he does, in verse 14 through 18, define the armor. It's seven pieces. I want you to see that. Seven total pieces. Five of them are defensive, and two of them are offensive. The two that are offensive are the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema word of God in any matter. And the second one is the lance of prayer. We don't always see the lance of prayer as being a piece of the armor, but it is. It is the seventh piece of the armor. The sword of the Spirit is talking about that rhema word. It's the same thing that Jesus used and did when he was tempted of the devil. He fought against the devil with the rhema word, the sword of the Spirit, for he came back, God, by the Spirit of God, he had a rhema word. And when the devil tempted him about eating bread, he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, etc. So he used the rhema word given to him in that moment as the sword of the Spirit to defeat the enemy. And we must do the same thing. And then the other offensive office. Um, piece of armor is the lance of prayer. Our prayers can be weapons and they can be very effective. Hallelujah. So we are told how to fight so that we can be victorious. The last thing I want to point out about that is it starts off mentioning in verse 14, having your waist girded with truth. In other words, the belt of truth, we call it. Now, obviously the truth it's talking about there is God's word. But I want you to see something else. It includes being true in fact or in reality. In other words, there's an element of the integrity of the person that is there as well. Let me show you why that's important. 
you'll remember when we were reading through the book of Acts, there were seven sons of Sceva that came and they wanted to try to, um, to cast out demons like Paul was doing. And the demons said this, they said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? In other words, they did not have the integrity. They did not have the sincerity to back up what they were trying to do. And so there was pretense there and it did not succeed. So what this is talking about here is it is the truth of God's word, but it is also talking about your lifestyle being, having no pretense, no deceit, being a person of integrity so that there's no kink in your armor. So that's what that's also talking about as well. And then notice that as Paul mentions about the lance of prayer, he goes on in verse 19 and 20. He says, I want you to pray also for me that I will have boldness to preach the gospel even though I'm imprisoned. He still had a heart for Jesus regardless of his circumstances. And may we do the same. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.